Sorry, in Genesis 45, 25-28. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, Joseph is still alive, and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to them, sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Genesis 46, starting verse 28. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household, who were in the land of Canaan, have come to me, and the, and the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their, and their herds and all that they have. Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your fathers and their sin, brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of their servants, of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear. For, I, am I, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Joy. Let's pray for the word this morning. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for this incredible story of Joseph and his family and all that you've shown us through it, Lord. I pray that as we kind of see and look at the conclusion of this, um, there are some incredible high points here and yet some reminders of the brokenness in this family that still exists, Lord. I pray that you would show us what you have for us in the midst of it right now, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So in the year, uh, I looked it up, in the year 2006, this movie came out called Click, and it was an Adam Sandler movie, um, and uh, it was about a guy who is kind of a busy, successful architect who, um, you know, kind of has everything in life, but he finds himself way too busy, and so um, after having a particularly bad um, I think evening with his family and feeling badly, he does what a lot of people end up doing in suburbia. He 
wanders his way over to Bed Bath & Beyond. And he ends up in this back room of Bed Bath & Beyond where a crazy uh, sort of mad scientist appears to be working. And um, that mad scientist, played none other than by Christopher Walken, sells him a universal remote that promises to be able to control his life. And so what he uses this for, for the most part, is to fast forward things that he doesn't really want to deal with. And he uh, discovers that he can fast forward an argument with his wife that he kind of knows where it's going. He can fast forward dinner with his parents. He can fast forward meetings at work. He can fast forward entire days or even seasons of life that just seem really slow and monotonous and painful. Eventually, he starts fast-forwarding too much, and uh, his life begins to pass him by, um, and it's only then that he realizes that the real important parts of life are the little things, right? The little things that we jump ahead past, uh, that's where some of the best stuff is. And he regrets his decision to kind of speed past things in life, and he uh, learns this lesson, and we all learn it as we walk through that with him. Uh, I think that we can relate to this idea quite a bit, the idea that life is filled with circumstances and situations that if given the choice, we would skip right past. For some of us, I think for all of us, that's how the really bad times feel. I just want out of this. I want to get past this. But I think for a lot of us, that's how all of the in-between times feel, not the good or the bad, but just the sort of monotonous stuff that happens in the middle there, where um, we're bored, or life has gotten too routine, or things have started to feel a little bit mundane. We would skip past that stuff if possible. I don't think there's any one of us who would endure real profound, significant suffering if we were given the opportunity to skip ahead past it. If we were given any other alternative, I think we would choose that alternative. But what Scripture tells us and it shows us, we see it in the account of Joseph and we see it throughout the Bible, is that the most Christian thing that a person can do when enduring a season of life or a situation that they would like to get out of is to simply endure that thing rather than um, try to skip past it, to, to wish it over, to try to get on to the next thing. It's to basically put down this remote that we all wish that we had anyway, that isn't real, but we're looking for always, and to look at what God is doing in this season that you're in right now. There are good times in life, really, really good times, right? There are um, celebrations that we have whether it's our birthdays, whether it's a graduation, whether it's a wedding, times that we stop and we go, man, things are really good right now, or this thing in my life has come to close, and that feels really good, and it makes me feel very fortunate. The launch of your kid, maybe. You know, they, like, finally moved out, and you're like, this is incredible. I can't believe it actually happened, right? They paired off with another person that wants to spend the rest of their life with them, and you're like, this is incredible. This is amazing, right? A birthday might be that, right? They just kept living, and that's amazing. That's incredible that they survived another year um, with me as the person in charge of providing for them in their life. Or you feel that way about yourself and what you're going through at that time. 
There are seasons where you step back and you go, you know, there actually is enough money in the bank right now. I'm not worried about whether we'll eat tomorrow or where we'll live. I'm doing something that I love, and that makes me feel good, and I'm grateful for that. I'm proud of my kids, or I'm proud of my relationship with my spouse. I'm proud of the friendships that I have, and I feel grateful for them. I feel like I'm a part of a community. Maybe I'm healthy. I'm just healthy. I'm not sick. I'm not struggling with something like so many around me are. Maybe it's just the fact that the sun is back out. And I can actually go outside and get on the water or something, and all of a sudden things start to feel good again. We know what these good times in life are. Sometimes we feel like we spend more time envying other people for experiencing theirs, and we don't get very many of them. But there are times that we hopefully stop and we go, man, this is a good season. This is a good time. This is even just a good day. I'm grateful for that. But we also know all too well the bad times. We've been talking about that a lot in this series. When the sickness comes, the diagnosis comes, when the loss of a loved one comes, when we don't love the job that we're in, when we're struggling in the marriage that we're in, when we're struggling with the children, um, that, that we're trying very hard to, to love and to help and to shepherd and guide. Um, when we look at the world around us and we feel discouraged by what we see, when we don't feel a part of a community that's particularly uh, meaningful to us, when for whatever reason, uh, we just feel like this is a hard time. I'm suffering right now for whatever reason that there is. We all know what it's like to be in those times. And the truth of life is that much of the time that we spend is neither the really good times or the really hard times, but this huge chunk of time that is kind of the in-between times. The times that we just go through the routine Again and again, we wake up and we live our lives. It's not fantastic, it's not painful, it just sort of is. I wake up and I spend the day caring for myself, and then I go to bed. I spend the day caring for another person, whether it's my kids or my parents or this person God's put in my life, and then I go to bed. We all know the routine. Everyone's got the routine. We've got a daily routine that goes again and again and again and again. I wake up, I check my phone, I get my coffee. Maybe I get up and check my phone to get my coffee while I'm in the shower. Maybe I've combined all of those things. I eat my breakfast. Again, maybe combine that into the shower too. Who knows? Do the laundry, get my kids out the door, clean the house, run some errands, plan another meal, see some more friends, catch up on life, nothing big, nothing earth-shattering, all sort of the same stuff, and then I get up and I do it all again the next day. I get up and I check my phone, I have my coffee, I take my shower, I, I drive to work, I park at work, I do my job day in, day out. Maybe I travel a bunch one season, maybe I don't travel a bunch one season. I try my hardest. I try to do the best I can. I try to get along with people, even though they're difficult to get along with. Uh, maybe my job's pretty easy. It doesn't take a lot of brain power. And uh, so it gets old. It kind of gets repetitive. Or maybe my job's really, really taxing. It's really exhausting. It's really hard for me. I have good days and I have bad days. I have good seasons and I have bad seasons. But they sort of blur together. And then I'm back at home getting ready for another day to do the same thing. We have these seasons of sort of grayness in life. We sometimes look and we say, I'm making the same mistakes that I was making before. 
I'm falling in the same holes that I fell into before. Maybe I'm returning back to the same habits that I continue to return to before. I know they're not the best, but honestly, they're not exactly the worst things in the world either. These are kind of the gray months of life. These are the in-between times. And these take up so much of life. And when we look at what Scripture tells us, when it says, as an encouragement to us in Romans, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, the question that we compelled, we're compelled to ask again and again is, how does God work for good in the really good, in the really difficult and in all of the stuff that comes in between. Because if he really does work all things together for good, then that means that even in those times that he's present and he's active and he's doing things, he's alive and he's real. I think as we close up this series and as we look at the culmination, the end of the story of Joseph, we have to ask this question one last time. What does it look like for God to have been active in Joseph's life, in his family's life over all of these years, That if you were to step back and look, you would see some incredibly good times, times of abundance, times of God's grace, times of joy, times of appreciation. You would also see some incredibly, horribly painful times of confusion that don't make sense, where people don't really understand what God's doing or what's happening. And then there have to have been year after year after year of just the monotonous in between, the waiting and the uncertainty. We read in, well, there's, there's two things that I want to look at this morning, and it's basically this. It's two things that God is always doing in our lives, no matter what the season is. Whether we're in the good times, whether we're in the hard times, or whether we're in that time in between, there are two things that God is always doing in the life of a believer that he never stops doing, even though much of the time I think we forget that he's doing these things. The first one is this. God is always making us more than we are now. God is always making us more than we are now. In every situation, in every circumstance, in every relationship, God is using that thing to make us more than we are now. Now, when I say more than we are now, what do I mean? Do I mean what our culture would say it means to be more than you are now? No, I don't. I don't mean that God's trying to make us someone who's going to look better online, someone who's going to have a better resume, someone who's going to have have experienced their own self-actualization more than they did a year ago, who's achieved achieved their greatest best self according to whatever the standards are that we have for that right now, which are totally going to change in like a year and a half. When I say that God is always making us more than we are now, what I mean by that is that God is always making us, he is always making us more into the likeness of Christ if we will allow that process to happen. We read in Romans 5 this, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So because we've been justified by faith, the gospel, because we have a relationship with God through that and through Jesus, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a sense of peace with God, a relationship where we're connected with God and he is doing something in our lives now, and that's an incredibly good thing. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope in the glory of God. We have access by faith, because we trust in Jesus, we have access 
into this grace in which we stand. So we live our lives as believers with access now to God's grace. And his grace means that God is doing something in our lives that we don't deserve, that we haven't earned, and that is very, very good and important. And what that is, is that God is always using the circumstances of our lives to provide us opportunities to become more like Jesus himself. We call it sanctification. It's what happens after a person gets saved and is now living out the Christian life. You see, living out the Christian life is always done in the context of the circumstances that we're in. So in the bad seasons of life, which is where we take the most encouragement from what we've been talking about in Joseph, honestly, in the bad seasons of life, when it seems like the suffering couldn't possibly lead to anything good, It can only take away the good things in our life. The good news of the gospel is that because we have God's grace in our lives, because of that, the suffering, the pain, the bad times are actually accomplishing something profoundly good in our lives. They're making us into something better than we already were. God is using them to refine and grow and shape us in a way that we would not be shaped in another season. When we look at the life of Joseph, when we look at the story of Joseph, we see someone who is so often put in incredibly awful, hard, impossible situations and circumstances. This is what Joseph confronts. He's sold into slavery by his brothers, his own brothers, which means he now has no family. And even if he were reunited with his family, would he want to be? I don't think so. He spends his uh, good portion of his youth serving a servant, a slave in a man's house, only to be falsely accused by his wife and then thrown in prison, where he will then serve in prison for years, only to be finding himself in a position of authority, but still a prisoner. And as God uses him to interpret these men's dreams, and he has an opportunity to maybe leave and experience something a little bit better, they forget about him. He spends another two years just waiting. He then experiences the incredible pain of being reunited with his brothers again. Seeing their bickering, seeing the immaturity, much of which is still there. And and what we see happen in Joseph over the course of the story is that God has taken a foolish, arrogant young man. And he's grown him up. And he has caused him to become someone who does not actually trust in himself as much as he trusts in God. God has used these circumstances to shape Joseph. He's even used the circumstances to shape his brothers. We see in the bad times them experiencing things and learning things. And what we recognize is that in our own lives, when all the bad stuff comes, God does use that for something. If you go on and you read the next part of this passage in Romans 5, it says this, not only that, that we get the grace of God, which is incredible, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. So when a person has faith in Christ, they're now a believer and they're follower of Jesus. Not only do you have access to the grace of God, which is the greatest thing you could ever have access to, but there's another added benefit, a little side benefit to it, which is this. We now get to rejoice in our sufferings. That's incredibly good news. 
Suffering doesn't now have the power to just rob us of good things, but it actually is something we can rejoice in. Why? Because we know that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So what he says here is that there are things that are accomplished through Jesus by by God in the bad times of our life, in the suffering. He says we will encounter, uh, we will develop resilience or endurance here. That, That when we suffer in Christ, we endure. And and as we endure, we develop resilience. That actually shapes us into something better than we were before. And as we endure, it moves us on to the next thing, which is um, it develops, it produces character. The thing everyone wants, right? More than anything in the world. How bad do we all want to send out a Christmas card one year just with a picture, not of a family or of a great job or great vacation, but just a picture of us with more character, No, I don't think so. Character is one of those things where, like, I could do without it, especially if it's going to take hard circumstances to produce it. But God doesn't feel that way. And so this endurance and this resilience moves us closer to a place where we now produce, it produces character within us. It grows us into something more than we were before. It brings us closer to to other people in our lives. It brings us closer to the community around us. This is what suffering does. And then this character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. What it also does when we suffer in the hard times is it changes our priorities. It changes the things that we were living our life for. When life is good, we live life for the good things. They become our priorities. That's our nature, is to do that. And what suffering does is it forces us, against our will, to uh, allow the priorities of our life to change. And the result of that is that we now get to hope in something that is a lot better than the subpar stuff we were hoping in before. I I was hoping in things that were making my life good, but those things are pretty lame things to hope in. Because uh, the status quo is going well for me, then I put my hope in the status quo. And when suffering came and it started to challenge that, I was forced to let go of the status quo. And I was forced to accept something different. And as I did that, God didn't only produce endurance and character, but really my ability to now hope in something better that is to come. It changes the priorities by which we live. When life is, when we're in the bad times and we're in the hard times, This is what we see God doing and changing us. But he doesn't just change us and make us into more than we are now in the bad times. He does that in the good times as well. When we, uh, God works all things together for the good of those who love him, which means he doesn't only work in our lives in the bad times. He also works in our lives in the good times. God gives us the ability to experience his grace in the good times as well. God's grace, his mercy, mean that like anything we experience in life that is good, that's God's grace. Anything we experience in life that is good, that is God's mercy. We know that the nature of sin, which has corrupted all of God's creation, including us, means that we don't actually deserve great stuff, 
but that God still allows us to experience it and have it out of his goodness and his grace. A sunset that you see, a sunrise that you see, is God's grace given to you, not something that you deserve, something he gives us anyway. The family that you have, the health that you've experienced, the job that you have, the roof over your head, all of these things are God's grace. And it is our tendency when things are good, rather than to see them as the grace of God, something he's provided for us, that ought to point us back to him, and we begin to think that we're God. We begin to think that, that these things are the result of us and what we've done and how we are. Joseph has not only experienced bad things, he's experienced some incredibly high highs, has he not? He experienced uh, going from being a lowly servant to being the head of a household, which meant living a very comfortable life and having some real authority. He went from being in prison as a lowly prisoner to being in charge of the prisoners to where he now had more authority and he now had more freedom. And then he goes to experiencing life as the second in command in all of Egypt. Joseph is now experiencing very, very good things. There's no doubt that his brothers and his father also experienced good things, good times as well as the hard times. There were years of plenty in Egypt and the surrounding lands, and there were years of famine and need and want as well. But what we see in those good times, and this is key, is the Joseph that is here at the end of this story. Is he arrogant? Does he believe that it's him who earned all of this? No. In fact, when his brothers come to him trembling in fear, what he says to them is, am I God? Like, do you think that I'm God? Do you think that I'm actually the one bringing these things about? Do you think that I'm the one that's in control of any of what's going on right now? I'm not. How rare is it for us to take that perspective when life is going well? It's not, it's not common at all. So even in the good times, God is making us into more than we are now if we will go along with him in that process. If we will acknowledge that these things are the grace of God, the mercy of God, the generosity of God, a blessing to be used for his kingdom, not things that we deserve, that we earn, or things that can now become idols in our lives that cause us to be distracted from God and focus now on these good things that we have. And in all of the in-between, God is also making us more than we are now too. And all those gray months and even years and days and weeks that make up so much of life. And in the monotony of the in-between time when things are not really awful, but they're also not really amazing either. The time that we would fast forward and click through to get to the next vacation that we have or the next good time that we have. Uh, we would skip those times. But God is present in those times, working in our lives, making us into something more than we are now which is to be like Christ. God uses those times to develop within us things like the fruit of the Spirit, things that actually this, this endurance that he's talking about um, is developed just as much, I think, in those gray periods of life. These things that we go, I, I couldn't say, you can't say on January 1st one year, I'm going to be more patient this year, and I'm just going to work on patience. That's not actually how patience works. Uh, what happens is the circumstances of your life require you to be in situations again and again and again that are either going to produce patience in you or going to produce a very bitter, angry, impatient person. And the question is, will you allow God to do that in you? Daily Will you learn faithfulness? Will you learn to go back to him when life is not forcing you in front of him because it's falling apart? Or when, um, 
when it isn't just about thanking him for all these good things that he's done in your life. There's so much of this in-between time in our lives, and we see God in that in-between time. The other thing that God is doing, more than just he's making us more than we are now, is that he is always, always, always pointing us towards hope in Jesus. So we can be confident that no matter what is happening in our lives at any time, that God is doing two things. He's making us in to someone who's more like Christ. He's putting these circumstances around us so that we can be shaped by them, so that we can be shaped to being more like Christ. But he's also, in what's going on in your life right now, today, God is pointing you towards hope in Jesus. So the other thing about these stories we read in the Old Testament that are really incredible is we see Jesus in each and every one of these stories. We see Joseph himself as like a Christ figure, as somebody who points us to the kinds of things Jesus is going to do. Think about it for a second, right? He's, uh, he's sold into, he's, he lives the life of a slave even though he doesn't deserve to. He is in, wrongly imprisoned even though he doesn't deserve to be. And he uses the abundance of his position as the, this great authority in Egypt now to bless others, to care for those who are undeserving, and to look out for them. That he has ultimately become the savior of not only these brothers of his who will represent the tribes of Israel, but also these people of Egypt. There, throughout Scripture, we see uh, a lot of situations where we think, oh, I'm supposed to be Joseph here, and I'm supposed to be David here, and I'm supposed to be Moses here. But what we actually are meant to see is these sort of foreshadowings of Jesus who is going to come and serve as this Messiah. And why would God always be pointing us towards him in every situation that's going on? Because our hope is always going to be in one thing, and that is Jesus Christ. Like our hope is always going to be in him. It will not be in our ability to do well in the good circumstances. Our hope will not be in our ability to overcome the bad circumstances. Our hope will not be in finding a, a way to be healed, in finding more money when we have none, in finding a way for the relationship or the marriage or the family to be healed again. That is not ultimately our hope. Our hope is in Jesus himself. Jesus is a savior for a people who desperately are in need of a savior. The good news is that God is always doing this. He is always putting us in circumstances in which we're seeing again where our hope is to be found, which is Christ. We read this in Genesis 50. Joseph says, we read, his brothers also came and fell down before him. This is after their father has died. Joseph has moved his family now to Goshen. Um, he's been reconciled with his father. They have everything that they need in life. And his father now says, I can die in peace. And he does. And after the father dies, the brothers freak out. They probably lie. Like it seems like they're lying here when they make this thing up. You know, they say like, oh, uh, we're afraid. So we're going to tell them our father said this. We don't have any reason to believe that their father actually said this. It doesn't really, like, why would he say it? Like, why would Joseph do it just because the father said it? But they come to him and, 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 and they say, behold, we are your servants. And Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I'll provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly 
to them. So Joseph is, is reminding his brothers that, that he or they are not really in control of these circumstances as much as they think they are. The good news also of the gospel of Scripture is that God has ultimately proposed to defeat evil so thoroughly through the gospel. He has defeated evil so thoroughly on the cross that all of the effects of sin are ultimately going to be undone by that. And so as much as the pain of these hard things in life hurt us, the good news is that God says that that pain will be undone, that those wrongs will be righted, that ultimately the effects of sin will be taken care of. What does it mean to actually uh, choose to live our lives in such a way that we aren't just like clicking that remote to skip past the hard times, to skip past the monotonous times? What does it mean to not shut our, our brains off and our hearts off to God in the midst of the good times when we're comfortable and we feel like there's nothing else that we really need in life? What does it mean to do that? I think that what that means, what that looks like, is first and foremost us stopping each and every day in the really good times and the really hard times and in the monotony that comes in between and saying, God is doing something today in my life. God is making me into something better than I am now. God is shaping me into being like Jesus today. And God is pointing me towards having more hope and trust in Jesus today. However much I trusted Jesus when I woke up this morning, I want to trust Jesus more when I go to bed tonight. However much I may have been shaped in the image of Jesus this morning, I want to be more shaped and conformed into the image of Jesus tonight. So whatever it is that I'm going through, whatever is happening, if we can at all possible step back just enough from our circumstances to say it isn't just about fixing this problem, enjoying the good things, or finding out how to get through the monotony and maybe get away from it so that we can experience a happier life. That it's not just about numbing those things. Because we don't have it. You guys may not know this. We don't actually have a remote that they sell at Bed Bath & Beyond that clicks past all the stuff in life that we don't want. But do you know what we do have? We have all of the things that we do to just sh shut our minds off and just cope and just get through the situation that we're in. To kind of numb that thing or try to enjoy stuff on just enough of a level that we don't actually have to think about the things that are happening that are unpleasant. Each and every day of our lives, whether you're here this morning and you are going through one of the hardest seasons you've ever been through, the good news is that God is doing something today. He is always going to be doing something, and he's doing something today. He's shaping you into being more like Jesus, and he is pointing you to, to, to put your hope in Jesus more, to look upon Jesus more than you were when you woke up this morning. So if you're wondering, like, what am I supposed to do right now? How am I supposed to see through the fog and the haze? What direction is there for me right now? The good news is it's very simple and it's very clear. The direction and the focus and what you need to be about is those two things. Because those are the things that we know with certainty. 
And if you are experiencing right now, today, one of the best seasons of your life ever, one of the best times or sets of circumstances in your life ever, the good news is that your life isn't just about the enjoyment of those things. That, that the question of what is God doing now, what he's not doing is he's not giving you circumstances and you now have to stress out about how to make sure those circumstances never change. Have you ever been at a time in life when things are going well and you find yourself stressed out about, with fear or, or worry about when they won't go well anymore? I have the money now. I don't want to lose it. I have a great family. I can't imagine losing it. I've talked to people who wake up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night in a season they think is the best in life going, I'm terrified of losing this thing, losing this time. The good news is what God is doing in our life in the midst of those amazing, wonderful times is the very same thing. And so when we ask the question of what is life about right now? What am I supposed to be doing right now? What am I supposed to be focused on right now? The good news is it is that. God is shaping and conforming me to being more like Jesus. He is he's giving me the ability to experience his grace and his mercy and his goodness, these things that I don't deserve. And they ought to bring me to a place where I can so easily praise him, I can so easily thank him. And in all of the in-between and the boring stuff, the good news is, like, uh, what God is doing there, if that's the season of life that you're in right now, and the odds are most most of us are somewhere in that place, I think, most of the time. What God's doing there is he is not telling you to just be done with life, to just check out and to just not care, to, you know, just be happy that it's not any worse than it could be, and to stop worrying about things that could be better down the road. No, what he's doing in that time is the very same thing. He's shaping you into being more like Jesus. He's conforming you into being more like him. This is the reason, one of the benefits of coming and gathering together every week as a church community. This is one of the benefits of getting in together in a small group with people each and every week, of sitting down across from God's word with people as often as you can, with taking time to do one of the hardest things there is to do, if not the hardest thing in life, which is actually to talk to God on our own and to be in his word. Why do we do these things consistently? Because no matter what season of life we're in, the most important thing we can do is put ourselves in positions where we're going to stop and go, this is what God is doing right now, and so this is what I'm going to focus on right now. And I'm going to let that be the thing that determines the course of my life. And the good news is God is big enough and he's strong enough that he can handle whatever we throw at him. That, that when life is really hard and the pain is real and we don't understand what's going on or how a loving God could allow us to experience that, that we can bring all of that to him. That there are psalms of lament, there are psalms of complaint, there are psalms of pain and suffering from those who have put words to how they feel and cried out to God and said, I'm giving this to you right now. And in doing that, he has shaped them into becoming more like Jesus, who he himself cried out to God in lament when he was suffering. The good news of the story of Joseph is that God does work things together for good. And that we don't get the ability to step back and, and see behind the scenes of our own lives. To see how God is orchestrating these things for good. 
to see what God could be accomplishing down the road that's going to be more significant than, he was, than, than it happened before. How our pain can, is often leading to something that is actually very good. And it's okay that we don't see and understand those things. Trying to figure them out and trying to focus on those things is going to drive us crazy. The most important thing that we can do is we can rejoice and celebrate knowing that there are two things that God is always doing in the good and the bad and everything in between. He is shaping us into being something that is so important, which is to being like Jesus. He wants us growing and becoming more than we are now. And he is pointing us again and again and again to the hope that we have in Jesus, saying, don't trust and rely on yourself. Don't trust and rely on your great family. Don't trust and rely on your ability to overcome these circumstances. Don't even take comfort and your identity from the pain and the suffering that you're going through. Trust and hope in Jesus. It's not the doctors. It's not the banks. It's not the presidential candidates. It's not whatever's happening in the world we live in today. None of that stuff stuff is ultimately where your hope is found. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ. And it is through all of the seasons of life that God will show us that if we will stop and we will say, God, what are you doing today in this? And how can I be shaped more like Christ? How can I point towards him more? How can I put myself in a situation where I'm going to praise you, I'm going to cry out to you, I'm going to seek you and your guidance, and I'm going to surround myself with other people who do, and in doing so, actually grow in that. Let's pray.